Welcome to the Property Magic Podcast. My name is Simon Zucci, and in this podcast, I'm going to deep dive into the property investing strategies and investor mindset for my book, Property Magic. I will also share real estate investing hints, tips, and tricks, which I normally only share on my property mastermind mentorship. Hello, and welcome to episode number 80 of the Property Magic Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to bust the five myths about HMOs. And I think this is important because there's a lot of misinformation and misconception out there about HMOs. And if you don't understand them, then you're not going to use them in your portfolio, which is a real shame because they are the fastest way for you to replace your income. I think this is going to be an eye opener and also very valuable for you. Now, I was speaking to one of my new virtual mastermind students this week who said that he had a rental property for the last six years and he could not imagine ever replacing his income from property because this property was making him just £75 profit a month and he'd need about 50 of them to replace his income. Then someone recommended that he read my book, Property Magic, and he realised he needed to change the way he was investing. Now, his one property was a single let property, which is what most property investors use. However, using HMOs, which are houses of multiple occupation, you should make about a thousand pound profit per month from each property. So here are the five main myths about HMOs. I'll tell you what they are, then I'll go into them in a bit more detail. So the first one is there's an oversupply of HMOs everywhere, and so you shouldn't do them. The next one is that HMOs are a lot more work than single let properties. The third one is every property needs an HMO license. The fourth one is all HMOs need planning permission. And finally, number five is you have to have lots of money to do HMOs. Well, I'm here to tell you the good news is these are all myths and half the truth. So let me explain. So first of all, people say or people think there's an oversupply of HMOs everywhere and so you shouldn't do them. Now, this is a half truth. I actually believe that yes, there is an oversupply of HMOs in most areas. However, and here's the important distinction. If you go onto a website like spareroom.co.uk, which is the main website people use to advertise their rooms in HMOs, you'll see there is a lot of supply but all of the rooms available are very average rooms. They've got magnolia walls. They've got mismatching furniture. They really don't look very good. And yes, there is an oversupply of them because most landlords don't know how to do HMOs properly. When I started, my first property was a a mini HMO, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Now, I happen to have a very nice house and it rented very, very well, but that's unusual for HMOs. So when we teach our students to do HMOs, we say, don't do an average HMO. Make sure your HMO is better than the competition. You want to have a high-end HMO that looks good. It's very functional for people to live there. They want to stay a long time and they're prepared to pay a higher rent than the average. So if you have a good HMO in a good area, you should have no problem renting it out. If you've got a very average HMO, you might get some void periods and it's going to be competing with everything else. So there is an oversupply, but not of good HMOs. Myth number two is HMOs are a lot more work than single let properties. And again, there is an element of truth in this. If you look at one single let property 
compared to one HMO that might have five tenants in and five different rental contracts, then obviously the one property will be less work than the HMO. However, that's not really a fair comparison. That one single let property might only make £100, whereas the HMO should make a minimum of £500 profit per month. So really, you should compare five single let properties with maybe one HMO. Are five single lets easier than one HMO? No, absolutely not. So if comparing like with like, I don't think HMOs are any more work. In fact, I think they're less work compared to a whole load of single lets. And also you can get someone else to do the work for you. I don't personally manage any of my properties. I have other people do it for me. Now with HMOs, you do need specialist HMO letting agencies and most letting agents don't know how to do them. So don't do them. But there are more and more specialists all over the country popping up because there's a real demand for them. Myth number three is every HMO needs to have a license. And myth number four is every HMO needs to have planning permission. So I'm going to talk about these two together. Now, this is really important to understand licensing and planning. Most investors get very confused about this and what the requirements are. But actually, licensing and planning are totally separate and unrelated. Now, I always like to look at licensing first and then planning. So let's let's consider licensing. Now, the rule of thumb is if you have a property that has five or more tenants, then it needs to have a mandatory HMO license. Now, you do need to check with your local council because some councils use the technical definition of an HMO, i.e. three or more unrelated people living in the property. And they say, if it's three or more people, that needs a license. However, the national guideline is five people. There are also some other things you need to understand when thinking about the suitability of a property to use as an HMO. The room sizes have to be um, larger than the minimum requirements. So the national guidelines for a single room is 6.51 squared meters. And for a double room, it's 10.22 meters squared. So you need to make sure that they conform to these minimum room sizes. And some councils, again, have different requirements and they want 10 square meters. So it's really important you check with your local council to get their pack all about HMO licensing, which you can get from their website or call them up and speak to the HMO licensing department. Now, all HMOs, whether they need a license or not, I think you should have the required safety requirements because you have a moral, ethical and legal responsibility to make sure you look after your tenants. And these policies tend to change from time to time, so make sure you've got the latest one. Now, the license holder can either be the owner of the property, which is normally the case, or it might well be the manager of the property. And each separate HMO needs its own separate license. Now, licenses cost between about £650 and £2,500, and licenses are normally valid for five years. And what you actually do, you send in an application to the council, you send them a floor plan showing them where the fire doors are and the smoke alarms, etc., and then how you're going to manage the property. So the, the forms look a bit daunting at first, but once you sit down and go through them, they're actually very straightforward. And when you purchase an HMO, you would need to apply for a new license. So that's really kind of a bit of an overview of 
licensing, when you know how it's done, it's not actually that difficult. And as long as you are a fit and proper person, i.e. you don't have convictions for drugs or you're not on the sex offender list and or you don't have convictions for being a bad landlord and your property meets the requirements, you should get the license. Now, that is totally separate from planning, which is the fourth myth. People think that all HMOs need planning permission. And again, that is not correct. So let's think about larger HMOs, first of all. Properties that have seven or more tenants, they do need to get planning permission because it's not seen as a normal residential property anymore. It's more like a commercial property. And so there's a special planning class, which is called sui generis. Sui generis means in a class of its own because it's not really a normal home. So that's for seven or more tenants. So if you buy an HMO, a large HMO, seven or more tenants, you've got to make sure that planning permission is in place. Now, in most parts of the country, uh, what people do is they go and find a normal family home, three bedroom home or something, which is in planning definition, a C3 classification, and they convert it into an HMO. They might build up into the attic, extend it, and they make it a five or six bed HMO, which is kind of a standard size of an HMO. So an HMO is a C4 planning classification. So people turn a normal house, C3, into an HMO, C4. And that is actually allowed under what's called permitted development rights. So you do not need to get planning permission to do that. Unless, of course, the local council has introduced what's called the Article 4 direction. Now, Article 4 is where the local council have withdrawn the permitted development rights. What this means is if you are trying to do an HMO in an Article 4 area, the council has introduced it because they don't really want more HMOs. And so that means you would need to apply for planning permission. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't do HMOs in that area. However, most council will automatically reject your planning application. Now, if it meets the criteria, and the criteria do vary from council to council, but normally it's you're not allowed to have more than 10 or 20% HMOs within a certain radius. If it meets those criteria and it's less than the specified percentage, you can appeal and on appeal, you might well get your planning permission. So you absolutely can do HMOs in Article 4 areas, but you would need to apply for planning. They're probably going to be rejected, but you can appeal and you might get it if you actually meet the criteria. Now, obviously, it's a bit risky to buy a property and then to apply for planning because you may not get it. So what my students do is if they find a really good property in an Article 4 area that's perfect to turn into an HMO, what they'll do, they'll secure it with a purchase option where they have the right to buy the property. Then they will get the planning permission. And only once they have the planning permission in place will they actually buy that property. Now, this is a real advantage because most investors will overlook property in an Article 4 area because they assume that it cannot be done. So it's just a little tip there for you. You can absolutely do it if it meets the requirements. Now, you can also buy an existing HMO in an Article 4 area if 
it's been used as an HMO before Article 4 came in and if it's been continuously used as an HMO since Article 4 came in. So a bit of homework is to check with your local council, this time the planning department, to see if they have introduced Article 4 with reference to HMOs. And if they have brought it in, you need to find out when did they bring it in so you can work out if you're buying an HMO, if it meets the requirements. And if you buy an existing HMO in an Article 4 area, you need to get what's called a Certificate of Lawfulness from the local council. Um, once you have that in place, it means you're going to be able to get a mortgage on the property. So hopefully that explains a little bit about planning. As I said, licensing and planning are totally separate and you should look at them in, in different lights, basically. And then the final myth, uh, myth number five. Well, there are lots of myths, but these are the common ones, really, is that people think you need to have lots of money to do HMOs. Now, again, that's partly true. If you're using just your own money and you're buying a house and you're going to take it back to bricks with a refurb, you know, with the deposit and all the money you spend on the refurb, you might be spending a hundred or 200,000 pounds. And obviously, if you're doing that on every property, you're going to run out of money. Now, the benefit of doing that, by the way, is you can use what's called momentum investing. Now, I talked about that in one of my previous episodes of the Property Magic podcast. And that's where you buy a property, preferably below market value. You spend money on that property, refurbishing it. You increase the value significantly. And that means you could then refinance it based on the new value and sometimes pull all of your money out. So you then go and buy another property. And it's a way that many of my mastermind students very quickly build up their HMO portfolio. So it's a great strategy. But you can't always get all your money out. And a lot of people worry about leaving their money tied up in the property. But actually, there are five creative ways that you can acquire HMOs using very little of your own money. So I'm just going to give you a very quick summary of those. The first one is called rent to rent. It's where you find a landlord who's got a property and maybe they're struggling to rent it out properly. Maybe they've, they're a distant landlord, they're trying to do it remotely, or they've got a letting agent looking after it and they're it's not a very good letting agent. They don't really understand HMOs and the property is not full. And the landlord's frustrated. They just want to get a guaranteed rent coming in every month. And so you take on the property, you rent it from the landlord, and then you rent it out uh, with their full knowledge and permission under a management agreement to other people. And you make a, a profit. The difference between what you pay the landlord and the rent you charge the other tenants is your profit, less all the bills. So that's a great strategy. The only problem with that is that you get cash flow for three to five years and then you give the property back to the owner. So the second way of acquiring HMOs with very little of your own money is using purchase lease options. Now it's very similar to rent to rent in that you give a guaranteed rent to the landlord each month, you rent it out for more money, you make cash flow every single month on a property you don't own, but also you have the right to buy this property in the future if you want at a price you set today. So not only can you get cash flow, you can also get potential capital growth on a property you don't even own. It's one of my favorite strategies and you can use purchase this option in conjunction with every other property strategy. So it really is valuable to learn about purchase lease options. The third way of acquiring property with none of your own money is doing a joint venture with other people. So this is where you learn how to find good HMOs, you do the hard work, you find the deal, you get other people to put the money in. And then you have some sort of share of the cash flow and the equity growth. So you might have family, friends who've got money in the bank doing nothing, they really don't understand property, you educate yourself, you find the great deals and you work together. 
it's much better than finding a great deal that you can't fund yourself, even though you're only getting 50% of the profit. It's better than getting 100% of no profit because you can't move forward. Now, even better than joint ventures is the fourth way of acquiring property using very little money, which is private loans. So instead of doing a joint venture where you give someone 50% of the equity, 50% of the cash flow, you just give them a fixed return every single year, might be three, four, five percent, which is much, much better they get in the bank, but the property's yours and you keep all of the profit. Now, again, could be family and friends who are the people who might lend you that money because they don't want to leave it sitting in the bank. But the fifth way of acquiring property is also a private loan, but actually you get it from the seller. It's called vendor finance. That's the fifth way of acquiring property using very little of your own money. Now, vendor finance is where someone sells a property, but they don't need all the money. They're just going to stick it in the bank. And instead of them doing that, they lend you some of the money to actually buy the property in the first place. Now, it's got to be done correctly. Um, Mortgage companies want to make sure that you've got some skin in the game. And so it's very important to learn how to do these strategies in the correct way. But again, it's another way for you to acquire property using very little of your own money. And in fact, I've done other episodes about how you can use vendor finance. So you might want to go and check out some of the other Property Magic podcast episodes. Now, I do hope this episode has helped dispel some of the common myths about HMOs. I hope you're inspired to think more about them and how you could use them as part of your balanced portfolio. In the next episode, number 81, I'm going to share with you how you can replace your income with just three of these HMO properties. And in the meantime, I'd like to invite you to learn more about how you could use HMOs to quickly replace your income. So I'm running some in-depth online training, which you can register for at www.hmocourse.co.uk. That's www.hmocourse.co.uk. Now, there's going to be a link in the show notes as well. And that online training is full of inspirational case studies of people just like you who've used HMOs to very quickly replace their income. And what that means is going to help build your belief that you can absolutely do this because other people are doing it. There's no reason why you cannot do this as well. So come and register for that training right now. Until next time, remember to always invest with knowledge, invest with skill. Thanks for listening to the Property Magic Podcast. To get this week's show notes, please visit www.propertymagicbook.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can contact me via LinkedIn. You can follow me on social media. And I highly recommend you subscribe to my YouTube channel to watch loads of valuable property trading for free. All of the details are available in the show notes. Until next time, invest with knowledge, invest with skill.